Hey there, this is Brian Zond, and welcome to my sermon podcast. I'm glad that you're interested in the sermons that I preach here at Word of Life Church in St. Joseph, Missouri. And if you ever feel inclined to help us by supporting us financially, you can do that at our website, wolc.com. Thank you. Well, 2020, man, what a strange year. So we need, we need some things that are stable. And we need some things just to look forward to. And I got to tell you, I always look forward to the summer music series, formerly known as Finding God on Your iPod. But now all the iPods are in museums. And so last year was Finding God on Vinyl. Or no, on your turntable, finding God on your turntable. Now, it's finding God in the music, and it'll be that until Jesus comes back. Now, when Jesus comes back, the series will continue. I'm going to keep doing it, but it won't end then. It'll just be, Jesus will be here. And uh, I, I look forward to this. I love it. I feel, like, I feel like it was something I was born to do. Amen. Uh, so... This is season 12, by the way. <laughs> How about that? Season 12, Finding God in the Music. Um, there'll be six tracks, six Sundays, six sermons, six installments. Uh, and the songs span 40 years. There are two from the 70s, two from the 90s, and two from the 2010s. Some of the songs are big radio hits by well-known artists. And some of the songs are, some of the songs I bet most of you have never heard. Uh, but they're good songs. The theme this year is songs that make you think. Not every song makes you think. Some songs are just, yeah, yeah, it's a good song. But you, there's nothing to write to think about. Uh, what these songs all have in common is they will make you think. I don't mind thinking when I, when I hear my music. And so the, the artist that we're going to start off with is a, is a big commercial success from the 1970s, Supertramp. Anybody, anybody remember Supertramp? Some, some of our young worship team members, they did not even know of Supertramp. They'd never heard of them. So I'm putting them in detention in the school of rock because their education is, is incomplete. And we're going to have to get them up to speed. Supertramp, yeah. Um, they, they, really, they, they sold 60 million albums in the 1970s. They were quite successful, a British band. Um, I mean, if you, were, if you were alive in the 1970s and had an FM radio on some rock station, you heard their stuff a lot. Uh, I, I remember the first time, I remember becoming aware of them in 1974 with their song, Bloody Well Right, you're right, right, Bloody Well Right, you know, you got a right to say, this is a good song, it is, it's a good song. Um, the, the album that the song I'm selecting today is uh, Supertramp's Breakfast in America. Yes, we got a witness there from Charlie. Uh, this, this, was, this is not an obscure album. This was the best-selling album in 1979. 1979, best-selling album in the whole world. 
sold, sold 20 million copies. That's a, that's a lot of records. That's a, that's a lot of vinyl. Uh, 1979, 20 million copies, a lot of hit songs on this album. They won two Grammys uh, for this album. And the song that I'm selecting is the Logical Song. That's the name of it. So the, the name of the sermon, name of the song, the Logical Song. It's, it's a song that's written from the perspective of a man who realizes that he's losing the wonder of his childhood. Um, he, he, he knows that when he was a child, life was filled with wonder. But now he's entering into a different stage of life, and he, and he feels that fading. He's, he's, um, he's becoming logical, sensible, practical, dependable, respectable, all those things. And then he says a vegetable, and he's losing. It's, it's a song that's very, he's becoming just another brick in the wall. Okay, I mean, I mean he's becoming comfortably numb. So I could go with Pink Floyd. Which is, which is clearly the, the far better band. I get that. I mean, there's no dispute on that. I mean, Supertramp's all right, but I mean, there's no Pink Floyd. But, uh, but I like this song. This song's going to work well with what we're doing today. So I'm going with Supertramp's logical song. Um, the chorus really sums up what the song's about. At night when all the world's asleep, the questions run so deep for such a simple man. Oh, please, won't you tell me what we've learned? I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. See, it makes you think. Here, here's a man that, that at night, you know, he's, he's awake at night. He's awakened in the night. And at night when all the world's asleep, the questions run so deep for such a simple man. Oh, please, won't you tell me what we've learned? I know it sounds absurd, but please tell me who I am. And so we're going we're gonna to see the song, a video. It's a live performance, but they, they pretty much do it spot on like the record. They're not a jam band. They're going to just, you know, note for note. It's from a live uh, performance in Paris. And those of you online, you're, a, we're about, you're about to be muted or we're going to mute ourselves because the copyright police come after us. Really, seriously, what happens is, I don't know how they do it, but you know, if, you're on, if we stream this on Facebook, they shut it down. They shut down the whole thing and, and then we'll be gone. So we're going to mute it out there in TV land, <laughs> we're going to mute it, and, uh, but if you're, on, if you're joining us on Facebook, Megan has put the link in the uh, comment section, and you can go, and you can, you can actually see it and hear it there, but you can't, we're not going to stream it. Everybody understand, you know, but here it's okay. <laughs> here we're going we're gonna, to, I had to explain all that, and uh, all right, so, and, and if you're just on your own, if you're not on, on, on Facebook, you just, you know, you're going to go to Spotify or whatever, it's on YouTube, uh, you, can, you can see it there. Um, hurry up and get back, because I'm going to preach about it when we're done. All right, live Paris, 1979, Super Tramp, logical song. Tell you something about Paris, makes me feel very logical. Oh, joyful. 
Supertramp. At night, when all the world's asleep, the questions run so deep for such a simple man. Oh, please tell me what we've learned. I know it sounds absurd, but tell me who I am. This is a song about a man who at night wrestles with who he is and what his life has become. We've already heard that story this morning. Do you remember hearing that story this morning? We heard that in our Old Testament reading. It's a story of Jacob's long night wrestling by the brook Jabbok. And he wants to he wants to find out who he is. He does find out who he is. Cuz that he's lived his whole life and not known really who he is. So we've already heard that story. Genesis chapter 32, verse 24. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. This is a story about Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that Jacob. The, uh, the one who... We get the phrase, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the patriarch Jacob. And it's Jacob who becomes Israel. Yisrael. It's Jacob that gives his new name, Israel, to the people of God. It more or less means God wrestler. These are the ones that Yisrai with El. These are the Yisraiers with Elohim. These are the ones that wrestle. The name of the people of God is God wrestlers. Anybody ever wrestled with God? What are you up to, God? What are you doing? What's, what's going on here, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? What do you like? Anybody here ever wrestled with God? That's... That's part of our name. That's who we're supposed to be. Well, the story takes place when, when Jacob is returning home after 20 years. He's been gone for 20 years. He left as a young man. He's coming back. Think of it like this. Just think of it. Think of it being like he's about 40 now. He's, he's, he's stepping into middle age. He's about to enter a different stage of life. He left as a young man. Gone off to Haran. Now he's coming home 20 years later. Now, he left with nothing. You know, he's just starting out in life. But he's coming home and he's now, he's, he's successful. He's successful, he's logical, he's sensible, he's practical, he's responsible, he's dependable. On his way to becoming a vegetable... He's, uh, although we tell the story true, in becoming successful, he's cut some corners. He has used people along the way. He's even cheated some people, including his brother and his uncle. Um, he's gained a lot, 
as far as, you know, what the world would call success. He's a success. He's gained a lot, but he's lost some things too. 20 years ago, when he was first leaving and going off to begin his, his career, as he goes off to begin his career in Haran, working for his uncle, he had an experience with God at a place called Luz that he changes the name, and he calls it and gives it a new name, calls it Bethel. We heard about that two weeks ago, if you remember, in the Old Testament reading. That was the place where Jacob laid down, used a stone for a pillow. That'll give you funny dreams, I guess. Laid his head on a stone, and he dreamed of a ladder set up on the earth, top reaching up to heaven. And the angels of God are coming and going up and down on the ladder. And he meets God. And God says, I'm going to bless you. He meets God. But that was 20 years ago. You know, there's, a, there's stages of life when, you know, 20 years go by, you're not even the same person anymore. Can I get a witness? And he's, can he, you know, there was a time when God appeared to him. There's a time when angels came and went on ladders. But now he's just been off doing his career. He's successful. He's acquired. He's achieved. He's logical, sensible, practical, respectable, dependable. But he's lost some things. He's on his way home. It's the last night of the journey. In the morning, he'll actually be home. He's bringing all of his family with him and and all of his possessions, his herds and his flocks. He's quite wealthy. But he's filled with anxiety about, I think, several things. It's always hard to come home after a long absence like that. 20 years, you know, what are you going to find? And then there's certainly the anxiety about... I mean, the reason he left 20 years ago is because he cheated his brother Esau, and Esau said, I'm going to kill you. And then so he felt led to move. And uh, he went and worked for his uncle Laban. And he doesn't really know what, you know, I mean, 20 years is a lot of water under the bridge, but, you know, has, is, is Esau still determined to kill him? So he's anxious about that, and I think there's just a lot of things, you know. He's at that stage of life where things are changing. He's coming back home, and he, the final night, he, he slips off by himself over by the river Jabbok, little creek, really, little brook. He's by Jabbok, and it's the middle of the night. It's the middle of the night when all the world's asleep, and the question one so deep for such a simple man. It's, it's dark, it's night, and the strangest thing, a man, a stranger, somebody, comes to him and wrestles with him. That's a, what a strange thing. Out of the darkness, just someone comes. Attacks him, really. They're wrestling. Who, who is this, this stranger who out of the dark comes and wrestles with Jacob? I, I, don't, I think at first maybe he thought it must be Esau. He's still mad. He's going to strangle the life right out of me. But it wasn't Esau. As we tell the story in English vernacular, we often speak of Jacob wrestling with the angel. So Maybe it's an angel. 
Or maybe it's the angel of the Lord. Or maybe it's God himself. Because eventually that's what, that's what Jacob comes to believe and know. That he's wrestling with God. Because he's going to call the place Peniel or Penuel the face of God. I've seen the face of God, he says. And they're wrestling all night, wrestling all night long, wrestling all night long. And what is more taxing than wrestling, wrestling all night long? And now it begins to dawn, just a pink glow on the eastern horizon. And the stranger says, oh, let me go. He says, no. And they keep wrestling. Well, then the stranger, suddenly we, we realize that, that the, uh, the stranger, the wrestler, the wrestler of Jacob, has just been pulling him along all night long. Because he could whip him any moment he wanted. And in one move, dislocated, dislocated Jacob's hip. Yeah, that's got to hurt. Well, that's got to be super. Anybody ever dislocated? I haven't. Anybody dislocated a hip? I bet that's, a, that's not a pleasant thing. One move. And Jacob's hip is out of joint. And the stranger says, now let me go. And Jacob says, no. I can't wrestle with it. I'm going to hold on. I can't wrestle anymore, man. I'm in pain, but I am not letting go until you bless me. Stranger says, no, nah, it's about, I don't want, he didn't want, the stranger doesn't want to be seen in the fullness of day, apparently. Let me go. I'm not letting you go. I can't wrestle, but I'm not letting go either. I can't wrestle, but I'm going to hold on to you until you bless me. And the stranger says, all right. What is your name? My name is Yaakov, Jacob. Not anymore. I'm giving you a new name. We'll call you Yisrael because you wrestle with God. And he gives him a new name, which means he gives him a new identity. Then Jacob, now Israel, says, tell me your name. And the same says, ha. Why do you ask me my name? Implying you know who I am. You know who I am. Genesis 32, 30. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him, and he limped on his hip. He was broken, but blessed. He was wounded, but the wonder was restored. Yeah, Perry and I are just back from 11 nights in the mountains, Rocky Mountain National Park. 
We call it our park. We let the government run it for us. Um, we stayed in a cabin we've stayed twice before, 11 nights, inside the park. We weren't in some, you know, condo out in Estes. We were actually inside Rocky Mountain National Park. You didn't know you could do that. Well, there, there are these cabins that were built before it became a national park in 1916. And they were grandfathered in. And the families can still own them. They can't, they can't do anything to them. They can't expand them. And if it burns down like the one nearby did... They can't rebuild it, but it's there, and they, they'll rent them out. And so we, and I'll show you my view, I'll show you the view. This is to just walk out the backyard, walk out the backyard, where, where, where's the, put the view up, got a view? There it is, that, that's, that's the, they just walk out the back door, that's it. That's, uh, you see the mummy range off there, that's, you're looking basically kind of northwest, and you see Ypsilon and Chiquita. Over here is Bighorn Mountain. You can't see it, but Eagle Cliff is over here. This is social distancing done right. And so we were there for 11 nights. No television. There's no television there. There's no television. No television. There's no cell phone coverage. You know, nope, zero bars. No cell phone coverage. No Wi-Fi. It's just a... Over 100-year-old cabin in the mountains. You say, what do you do? Mostly hike and read. That's it. Hike and read. Hike and get up in the morning and go for a hike. Come home and read. Sometimes go for a hike and then read. And then when you're done reading, you hike back home. We had hikes that we didn't have to drive to a trailhead. We just, well, the trailhead was our front door. Walk out, have a book in the backpack, go for a hike, read, walk back, read, go to sleep, get up, make eggs, go for a hike. That's it. For 11 days and nights. And every night for 11 nights, every night for 11 nights, every night for 11 nights, I watched the stars come out. I'd go out about 8.30 or so, 8.30 or 9.00. There's kind of a plastic chair out there. I just, all right, come on. You know, and we, stars coming out, it's not like flip on a switch. Oh, there they are. They, they come out very slowly. And every night for at least two hours, minimum two hours every night, I just sat and watched the stars. The first night was a new moon and it was clear. So the stars in their own good time really came out. There was an asteroid. Did you know about that? Whew, near miss. There was an asteroid about the size of the one that wiped out the dinosaurs 65 million years ago. That would cure 2020, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right. And it was flying by for several nights, and we saw it. It was right below the Big Dipper, and you just saw this look, kind of looked like a star with a, with a tail. Kind of like comets look, but it was an asteroid. Much closer, but it missed. And so I, I saw the asteroid. I saw the constellations, watched them kind of, you know, how they, they whirl. They move over time throughout the night around the pole star to the north star. Watch them in their, in their slow dance. 
Ever so often there'd be a jet, you know, either flying across the country or coming from Denver Airport, taking off. I didn't like those. You'd see satellites now and then. See the little satellites going across. I said, oh my God, I hope they're not inflicting cable news on the earth. <laughs> but mostly it was just stars, and you'd see, I saw lots of falling stars, shooting stars. Seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of me. Was it still the same? Did I ever become what you wanted me to be? Did I miss the mark, overstep the line that only you could see? I seen a shooting star tonight, and I thought of me. So I'd sit out there every night. This is ancient entertainment, by the way. This is what the ancients did. They did not watch TV. They're in the cave, and they're going, you want to go, you want to go watch the stars? Nothing else in the cave? That's okay. Let's... And that one looks like a bear. We'll call that, you know, the bear. And that one looks like a little bear. We'll call that a little bear. And that looks like a scorpion. And ancient entertainment. It was really good for me to do that because it's, it slows you down. Like you can't go out and say, okay, stars, let's go. I'm here. Turn them on. No, you do, they come out very slowly. The first stars, you know, they're planets. They're not really stars. Those are the first ones you see. And then pretty soon they all show up. And then you see that smudge that's the Milky Way. I see you see lots. Of, I said I would see lots of falling stars. Well, you know, five or six or seven over two hours. Those are the high moments. Oh, look at that. It's very quick. Doesn't last long. <clears throat> but it was good for me to slow down. And the effect was... It was contemplative. It was peaceful. And I think it was uh, therapeutic for my soul. Because we live, you know, I know you know this. I don't have to tell you this. We live in a time where we just got to go and do all the time. Go and do, go and do, go and do, go and do, go and do. And I, and I know that's forced upon us and we can't completely escape from it. You know, I could for 11 whole nights, you know. Just, uh, I'm not going anywhere, I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting here, and it was silent because there was nothing to be heard. A deer would come out most nights and stomp. Did you know what deers hiss? I never knew that. They started hissing at me. I said, like, I said you're a deer, what are you going to do? I mean... If you're a wolf or a bear, I might consider, you know, but you're a deer. You're a doe. You don't even have any antlers. No, I'm just sitting right here. Anybody ever heard of deer? They'll do that. I, and then I, when I got back, I read about it. It's like a warning. I said, what are warning me? Okay. So there, there wasn't much going on, but, but I just sat there. And it, it was good for my soul to be patient and to be slow Good time to think. So different than what we usually do. I can imagine it was in a scenario like that that the stranger came out of the darkness and wrestled with Jacob. God did not come wrestle with me during those 11 nights. He took it easy on me. He said, ah, I'll let him rest. 
But God has wrestled with me in the night before. Not those nights. Those nights were just peaceful and restful. But 20 years ago, and it was 20 years ago, I went through a period of time, I don't remember exactly how long, but it seemed like it was a few months, where regularly I would wake up at 3 a.m. At night when all the world's asleep, the questions run so deep for such a simple man. I I would wake up around 3 a.m. regularly, and I would have a question that was being presented to me. And the question was this, when do we live? When do we live? Now, it originally it felt like it was coming from within me. I'm waking up, you know, I just I wake up. It's an odd thing. You just wake up and I go, when do we live? I now, in retrospect, think this was uh, God posing this question to me to, to wrestle with it. To wrestle with it. When do we live? When do we live? And so I was having to process it through my theology because theology really is everything. It's the study of everything. And so my conclusion, when do we live? Well, my theological framework forced me to conclude when we die. When do we live? When we die. We don't really live here. We're just, you know, trudging through this weary world of woe. Just trying to make it trying to get to heaven before they close the door. And then, then when we get to heaven, then we're going to live. But that, that forced me to conclude, when do we live? When we die. And I thought, that seems wrong. <laughs> I mean, if the question is, when do we live? And the answer is, when we die. Hmm. Something seems wrong here. And then I began to realize that really what I was asking I mean, a similar, if not the same question was, when are we saved? And I was, ha- I, was, I was having to answer when we die, and that didn't seem right. So I needed to rethink my salvation theology. Soteriology is the technical word. We'll just call it our ide- my idea of salvation. It had to be rethought. And I began to realize, this is when I began to realize, 20 years ago, that I began to realize that my idea of salvation was far too afterlife oriented. It was too much about the afterlife and not near enough about right now. Jesus didn't say, I've come that they might have life when they die. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so what happened was, is my theology got put out of joint. Because at this point, 20 years ago, I was 40, 20 years ago, you should have, you should have asked me questions 20 years ago because I had all the answers. You know, I could just walk like this, just, yes, here, Bible answer, man. Do you have a question? Oh, yes, I can give you that answer. And then just, you know, I just walk like this. But after wrestling with God in the night, I was like, yeah, my hip, my theology joint is all out of whack. And I was having to rethink some things. And that was good. It's a little bit painful, a little bit, a little bit uncomfortable. But it was a good thing. Eventually, the sun rose upon me. And I began to see salvation in a whole new light. It's not 
your legal status before God the judge that Jesus wants to save. That's not the emphasis. It's not your afterlife placement that Jesus wants to save. Jesus wants to save you. 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 You, you right there. He wants to save you. You be. He wants to save you. Not where you're going to go. Not your status. He wants to save you. He wants you to become you. The you that you were always meant to be. Because no one gets through this life unscathed. We witness not a fallen world, but falling every day. And we're part of that fall. I heard about a 55-year-old man on McHenry Peak. That's the most difficult mountain to climb in Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, the standard route. I've climbed it once. That's enough. And... Um, Attempted it twice. The, the, the first time, it, 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 it actually just scared me. I thought, yikes. But I heard about a 55-year-old man that had a 75-foot tumbling fall. Had to be rescued. The hasty teams had to come. Eventually, they had to bring in a helicopter the next day, so we had to spend the night out there. Well, we're all a little bit in that condition. We've all tumbled down the mountain to some extent. Some are more injured than others. It isn't all the same. But we've all taken a tumble. We've all taken a fall. We've all been battered and bruised. And, that, and what Jesus wants to save is you. He wants to come to you who have fallen down that mountain and, and help you and heal you. Get you back on your feet. He wants you to become who you are. But you don't know who you are. Jesus wants to tell you who you are so you can become your true self and stop living a false life. Now, who are you? Well, you are a child of God. You are a child of God. That's the truth. You're a child of God. Now, I'm a father and now a grandfather. I'm not perfect love, though. <laughs> God is love. BZ isn't love. I want, I want to lean into that, but, you know, God is pure love. I'm not pure love. I'm trying but God is pure love. But I, I'm not pure love, but even me. What would I do to save my children or my grandchildren? Anything? Everything? Would, I mean, would you ever stop trying to save them? No. Would you be able to save them? I don't know, but I'd sure try. Well, God is pure love, and he, he's also omnipotent, by the way. He's going to save you. I don't know how long it's going to take. I do know that you can kind of cooperate with the process or resist the process. But God's going to save you because you're a child of God. Now, I can tell you this, and it is true, but you really need to hear it from Jesus and not me. You say, well, can I, can I really hear from Jesus? You really can. This is the experience of Christianity. To actually encounter Jesus. So you get alone and you get quiet. And you ask Jesus to come to you. And you wait. It isn't like, you know, all right, Jesus, come on. Oh, yes, I'm here. Can I help you? And it doesn't work that way. It's more like the stars coming out. You may have to wait a long time. He'll appear in his own good time. But he will come to you. Get quiet. 
believe, wait, and let Jesus come to you. And let him come and speak to you. Well, when Jesus comes to you, he might, he might wrestle with you first. He might even make you uncomfortable. He might even twist some things out of joint. Ow, Jesus. He might do that. But in the end, ultimately, he'll bless you. He'll bless you. And he'll tell you who you are. He'll give you your real name. Because what we call ourselves or what we're called by others oftentimes isn't who we are. People, other people may call us things. The internal monologue within us, our, you know, our own self-talk may call us things that we're not. For sure, the Satan, the accuser, will put a name on you that is not who you call, call you a loser, a failure. I don't know what, you know. How many of you know that those names are going to get put on you and you get stuck in your head? That's who I am. I'm the ugly one. I'm the rejected one. I'm the angry one. I'm the addicted one. That's my name. Addict. Failure. Loser. That's not who you are. And Jesus will come and maybe wrestle that stuff away from you and then tell you who you are and give you a new name. Jesus says in Revelation 2, 17, I will give a white stone and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except the one who receives it. Yes, the white stone is the stone of acquittal. You know, the white stone, you're forgiven. It's all wiped clean. Your sins are forgiven. But what's just as important is the name written on the white. This is not just a legal thing. You know, okay, here's your acquittal. That's great. It's good to have our sins forgiven. But what's just as important is the new name written on the white stone. And the new name is your true identity. And it will dispel all of the false identities that have kept you living a false life. At night, the questions run so deep. At night... When all the world's asleep, the questions run so deep for such a simple man. Well, please, won't you tell me what we've learned? I know it sounds absurd, but tell me who I am. And that's exactly what Jesus wants to do. He wants to tell you who you are. Let's pray.